All right, you can turn to Genesis chapter 31 in your Bibles and uh, get there in just a minute. I'm going to talk to you about serving and about vision today. You know, some of the pictures that you saw there in the intro are from serve days in years gone by. So on July 15th, we, we are participating in a big serve day. There's, I know, at least a couple hundred churches across America that are all getting out in their community that Saturday to to serve and uh, reach out to people. So we're going to do that again. We've been doing this for, for several years as well. And so we're going to have some sign-up opportunities for you coming in the next couple of weeks. That's going to be July 15th. Well, before I get to, to Genesis, let me just show you something in Ephesians about serving. Ephesians 4.11, such an important passage, says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers, and so, you know, if you're familiar with this passage, we, we would call this the fivefold ministry, the ministry gifts, apostles, and I always think about Terry Law, somebody like Terry Law, somebody that has a, an understanding of the church around the world. You know, he could tell you how the church is doing in China, or Terry could tell you how the church is doing in the Middle East, or whatever. He, you know, an apostle is somebody with a that, that's into church planting and, and has an understanding of the church around the world. And then prophets, those are people with messages for the church. Evangelists are people who have a real gift to, to reach the lost. Again, I, I think about Terry Law when I think about an evangelist. And then, of course, pastors that lead the, the local church and teachers, people who teach the word. So you have these five gifts that says that Jesus gave. He himself gave some, these, these fivefold gifts. But Look at verse 12. Verse 12 is really the important verse. It says, for the equipping of the, of the saints for the work of ministry. That, that's what apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, they are for the saints. They're for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Sometimes people misunderstand and they think, well, you know, it's great. An apostle or a pastor or an evangelist, their ministry is great. But but their goal, their calling is to equip the church for ministry. That's what we do when we serve. So that, that's why our serve team is growing. We get excited every time somebody joins a serve team because that's what we do as a church. We equip. That's what pastors do is to equip the saints for the ministry. We equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So serve day is a, a big deal to us, just to get out there and serve people and do the work of the ministry of the church. That's, that's actually what we're here for, to do, to do ministry. So for the edifying and the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come, now I see three things in this verse. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, in the, in the New King James, that means maturity, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here, here's the three things that I see in, in verse 13 that happens as a result of us serving together. It's a result of the church being in ministry together. Every time somebody joins a serve team, this, this increases. Unity in the church. The unity of the church increases as more and more people get involved in the work. Knowledge of Jesus. If you want to know Jesus better, just begin allowing him to minister to people through your life. It's exciting to see what he does through your life, ministering to somebody else. And then maturity. 
the maturity of a believer. Get, get started serving in some area and see how much you'll grow. That's, that's, I see all of that in verse 13. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children. So get out and serve. Be, be part of ministry. Don't be like children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up, mature, in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part, look at this, every part does its share and causes growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. That's what happens with a church that serves together. That, that's, that's our goal at Victory. And then in Matthew 6, you know this verse, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, put, put his kingdom first and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so when I think about that and I think about serving the church, this is what I think about, provision. God has promised provision for people who put the kingdom first. Ahead of my own career, ahead of my own things, I put the kingdom first, and he promises provision. God provides money for your vision in life. That's the promise of Matthew 6.33. So I want to talk to you about vision, how to, how to, re, how to receive it, how to release it. And uh, that's what's in your notes today. And I'm going to teach out of Genesis 31. Now, I'm going to go from Genesis 31, and then I'm going to go back to Genesis 30. Because in Genesis 31, Jacob explains the vision that God gave him. But in Genesis 30, you see him actually doing something about it. So I've got to start in Genesis 31 and show you where he tells us that God gave it to him. And then we'll go back to chapter 30 in just a minute. But I want you to look at this subtitle, Jacob Flees from Laban. Now, if you, if, you're, if you remember who Jacob was, Jacob was one of two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob was the younger one, these two twins. And, uh, and so Esau was, was the one that was supposed to receive the, the birthright from his dad. But, but, but Jacob and his mother deceive his dad. And, and they trick him into, into praying the blessing over him. And so after that happened, after Jacob did that, he runs. He runs for his life. Because Esau, the Bible says, was a skilled hunter. <laughs> and so after he stole what belonged to his older brother, he thought, I'm, i got to get out of here because I know my brother and he's pretty good with that spear and i, I got to get away from here. So he runs. And he runs to his uncle's house. He runs to to Laban's house. That was Rebekah's brother. And so he runs away to, 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 to his uncle's house and he agrees to work for him and, and Laban's a farmer and he's got sheep and goats and, and he works for him. Well, while he's there, he falls in love with Laban's, one of Laban's daughters, Rachel. And he goes to Laban and he wants to marry Rachel and Laban says, okay, well, you, you work for me for seven years. <laughs> you work for me for seven years and you can marry Rachel. And so the Bible says that Jacob said the seven years felt like one day. He loved her so much. And he worked for his uncle for seven years. And, and then the wedding day comes, and he gets married, and he finds out the next day that he married the wrong sister. 
I've got a lot of questions about that story. I don't know. The Bible says, you know, that, that Leah had weak eyes, but I think Jacob's eyes must have been pretty weak too. But so, so he marries Leah because Laban tricked him. Laban deceived him. And you can, you can think about it and think, well, hey, Jacob deceived his brother, so maybe he was just getting what he deserved, you know. But nevertheless, he goes back to his uncle and says, look, you know, you tricked me. I want to marry Rachel. And he says, well, yeah, but Leah was older, so if you'll work for me for seven more years, you can marry Rachel too. So he says, okay. So he works, he works seven more years for Laban, and then he marries Rachel. Now, if you read on through, through the next ten chapters, you'll see that, you know, there were a lot of issues in this family. But, but here in Genesis 31, Jacob is stuck. He's being tricked by his uncle, and God gives him a vision, a dream. And the dream changes his whole life. And it's the importance of vision. And before I read those, those verses to you, let me show you. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says, When people do not accept divine guidance, that's what vision is. That's, that comes from heaven. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. So how important is vision in our lives? Vision to serve God. You, you know, you see people all over the place that are running wild. You know it's because they don't have any vision from God. And even sometimes Christians maybe had vision at one point to serve God, and then something happens. I'll talk about that later, but, but it's so important to get vision, fresh vision from God. And that's, and that's what happens here in Genesis 31. So let me read it to you, verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock and said to them I see your father's countenance his face it's not favorable towards me as before but the God of my father has been with me and you know that with all my might I've served your father yet your father deceived me and changed my wages ten times but God did not allow him to hurt me if he said thus the speckled shall be your wages then all the flocks bore speckled, and if he said, thus the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. Now he's talking about the sheep and the goats that are, that are a part of this herd, and, and the fact that these streaked and speckled ones, they weren't pure white. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes, Listen to this. This is the language of a man who is receiving vision from God. I lifted my eyes and I saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. And the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes now and see. All the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. So, in Genesis 31, what we just read, that was when God spoke to Jacob and told him what to do. And he was just telling his wives, okay? 
But if you go back to chapter 30, you can see, now remember, now remember, God has already told Jacob what to do, and this is where he does it. Chapter 30 is where he does what God told him to do. So I want, I want you to see this. came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away, that I may go back to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I've done for you. And Laban said to him, Please stay, if I found favor in your eyes, for I've learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. And he said, Name me your wages, and I'll give it. And Jacob said to him, You know how I've served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now when, I sh also, when shall I also provide for my own house? And he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Now this is the vision that God gave Jacob. This came from heaven. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep. So what God told Jacob to do. Now, now think about this. A, a farmer would want the purest white sheep. And so when Jacob goes to his uncle and says, give me the ones, you can keep the ones that are white. You can keep the ones you want the most. Just give me the ones that are that aren't as valuable, the ones that are speckled and spotted. And all the brown ones among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these will be my wages. I'll take those for my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that's not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it's with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. Boy, he really liked the suggestion. Look, he wasn't an honest man or a generous man. He was really happy with this plan. Yeah, you take all, the, you take all these speckled ones that I don't want, and I'll keep all the pure white ones. That's, uh, he, he thought that's a great plan. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came. Now let me just stop there before I show you the rest of this. You, you realize that we live in a spiritual world. I mean we live in a physical world but we also live in a spiritual world and the dream that God gave Jacob here was supernatural. And he told him, you, you make this deal with Laban and then take sticks and cut, peel pieces of these sticks off and then put them all together in front of the eyes of these sheep. And when they come, when the sheep, when the speckled and the spotted, or when the sheep come and when they drink the water from this trough, they're, they're, they're going to see in front of their eyes all these spots and speckles on these pieces of wood. It's like a backdrop to their feeding time. That's what God told him to do. He set these rods that he'd peeled before the flocks in the gutters. 
so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived in front of the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. So do you see what he did? When, when the stronger animals were at the troughs, that's when he would put those rods up there. So the strongest animals would have spotted and speckled lambs. Now th this, this reminds me so much of, of Dr. Cho. Doctor, about 10 years ago, Emily and I were in Louisiana. We went to hear Dr. Uh, David Yonggi Cho preach pastor of the largest church in the world in Seoul, South Korea, 750,000 people. And I figured it was probably the last time that Dr. Cho was going to come to America, and, uh, and so about 10 years ago, so we, we drove down to Louisiana to hear him preach. And I remember he, he preached using this message, and he told this story about a village in Korea where almost every family had twins. And they sent scientists from all around the world to study this village and figure out why all these twins were being born. They tested everybody, they tested the water. I mean, they, they, they were determined to figure out why it was that this village, this little village in Korea, could possibly have so many twins. Well, they never figured out the answer, but Dr. Cho, when he saw that village, he said that he knew the answer. You know, it was a primitive place, and there was a water well there, and, and twice a day the women would all go and draw water at this well. And he said if you stood at that well and looked off in the distance, there were twin mountain peaks. He said so every day for years and years and years, people would go and draw water at that well and talk and look at these twin mountain peaks in the distance. And he said, the scientists would never believe that. I believed it. I believe that's what happened in that village because, because I understand faith and how important it is what you see with your eyes. And that's what's happening in this story. You think this is an amazing story. It, listen, it's a supernatural story. God does things spiritually for us. And he gave Jacob this vision. He's the one that told Jacob what to do. Jacob did not come up with this on his own. When the flocks were feeble, the weak ones, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's. The ones that were more white, more perfect looking, but they were weak. And the stronger ones were Jacob's. Thus Jacob became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So I just want to talk to you for a minute about how to release vision. You know, how to, how to release vision in your life. Okay, so write, write these things down because I think it's going to really mean a lot to you. Number one is reception. The first thing about vision in your life is you have to receive it. So there's four different ways that I can think of that we receive vision. The first one is seeing. Seeing is a dream or a vision. 
That's what happened with Jacob. He had a dream, and God showed him this, this idea and what to do and how to become prosperous. So you see it. And uh, I was thinking about something that happened last year to, with Emily and I, and, and, and it was kind of going here. We, in November, um, I had a dream that we were in Scotland. And listen, Emily and I had not been to England or Scotland since 1998. Benjamin was born in 1999, and so we had gone, you know, when we were married, first married, but we had not gone since we'd had kids, and for years it was kind of on my heart. I, I need to go. I need to take the kids to England. I need to take them to Scotland to, to see, you know, where I'm from, where my family are from, and, and, uh, and so it just never seemed possible. Just the expense of traveling to Europe, the four of us, just wasn't realistic. It's very easy for Europeans to come here. You know, they, they go to Orlando in the hundreds of thousands. <laughs> but um, but it's, it's expensive, you know, to, to travel to Britain. So these years would go by, and, and I would just tell the Lord, you know, I just would really like to be able to take the kids to, to Scotland and England. So in November, in November, I had a dream that Emily and Benjamin and Suzanne and I were all in Scotland. And so... I, I walked in, I, I got up and I walked into the living room and Emily was sitting there and I told her I had a dream that we were all in Scotland together and Benjamin had a Scottish accent. <laughs> and a few minutes later, Benjamin got up and he walked into the living room the same morning and said, I just had a dream that we were all in Scotland and Susanna was a castle expert. So Emily wrote it down. Emily wrote it down. How unusual for both of us to have that same dream. We hadn't been talking about it, to have that same dream the same night. So Emily wrote it down. This is what she wrote. November 6, 2016, Scotland. David and Benjamin both dreamed we were all in Scotland last night. David dreamed Benjamin was speaking with a Scottish accent, which happened. <laughs> and Benjamin dreamed that Susanna was a castle expert. You know... It's incredible what the Lord did. From November until January, Emily just started looking into it, and, and the Lord made it happen. And in March of last year, we, for the first time, we took the kids. We were just there five days. In fact, we were in London mostly, but we took the train to Scotland one day. It was a four-and-a-half-hour train ride from London to Edinburgh. We went up to Edinburgh. We were there for a few hours, and Stan and Tracy were with us, and uh, Chris and Jamie and all that family, and then, we, and then we took the train all the way back to London. But do you know what? The dream was we were in Scotland, and we were. Now, I tell you that story to let you know that it, ask God for vision and dreams about all kinds of things. I mean, the big things in your life, but also, you know, the little things in your life. Just ask Him to show you things. The second way that we receive vision is by feeling, and I would put it this way, that people say, I have a heart for. So God could be giving you vision, but you might say, you know, I really have a heart for these people or this situation or people who are hurting this way. I really have a heart for that. The next one is hearing. Just by hearing God through his voice and through the word. You read the word of God and he speaks to you through the word. You hear his voice and you get an idea about something. And that's the Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then the fourth one is just doing, we just use our gifts. 
Listen, church, don't just sit still. Just begin to do something with your gifts. That's one of the things we do at Vision Night. You know, tonight we have Vision Night. We do it once a month. And I just talk about the vision of the church for a little while. We do a gift inventory because I want to stir you up about the gifts that God has given you and how to use those in ministry in the church. But, but I would just tell you one of the most important things I've ever learned is just start. Start small, but start moving. Don't stand still. Just, just do something with your gifts. Do something with your gifts. So that's reception. Number two is articulation. How do you release vision in your life? Number two is articulation. If it's not plain, it's not possible. You have to make it plain, and that's what Habakkuk 2.2 says. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Number three is expectation. So reception, articulation, and then number three, expectation. I would say it this way, that have high expectations, but you have to be realistic about time and the amount of work that goes into it. So, for, for example, you know, God gave Joseph a dream when he was 17, and he made the mistake of going out and telling his older brothers, and he tells them, look, you're going to bow down to me one day. Well, they didn't like it, so they threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. Do you know it took 13 years for that dream to come to pass? So Joseph actually was talking about it too early. He was supposed to just be talking to the Lord, and God was getting him ready and showing him humility and teaching him things he needed to know. It took 13 years from 17 to 30 before the dream came to pass. So you have to be realistic about the time frame. That's Habakkuk 2.3. It says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Number four is submission. Submit everything about the vision to the Lord. Submit it all to Him. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, unless the Lord builds a house, unless the Lord builds your career, Unless the Lord builds your family, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. And then Proverbs 22, 4 says, by humility, by submission to the Lord. Humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. So just, just walk in humility. So a lot of times people, when they begin to taste success, they... They get in pride and they think, well, this, is, this success is because of me. I've seen it in business and churches, you know, where people, they, the success of a business, they think, well, what would they do without me? Right? I'm, I'm sure you've heard that. They say, well, they couldn't do this without me. They don't realize what it took that man or that woman who built that business. Stay in humility. Be submissive to the Lord. Habakkuk 2, 3, 4, remember it says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. For it tarries, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And then in verse 4 it says, Behold the proud. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. 
And then the last one, number five, is connection. So reception, receive vision from the Lord. And articulation, write it down, make it plain. Do that. And then the last one, number four, was submission and then connection. Make sure that, that you don't let something drag you away from God's people. God will not give you a vision that separates you from his people. And I see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. It says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body, this is talking about the church, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. God's plan is to work in our lives as a family, as a church. And we need each other. We need each other. Now, I want to pray for you this morning for vision. Vision is so important. I think about Jacob. He was stuck. He was stuck in this place in his life. He didn't know how to move forward. He, he was being cheated. Ten times, the Bible says, his uncle changed his wages. And he cries out to God, and God gives him this vision, a vision that would, that would move him forward. People get stuck sometimes. And God wants to speak to us. God wants to help us keep, keep moving with Him. I know sometimes Christians, they go through difficult situations. And it could feel to you like you haven't heard the Lord speak to you in a while. I think today is the day that you're going to hear Him. We're going to pray for vision and for God to speak to you and give you dreams. He'll show you what to do. Maybe you've been through something painful. Pain, we can get stuck sometimes when, when we've been through something painful. I think about 2012 when my dad passed away. A very painful period for me. I can look back in my journals and there is nothing for months I mean, I've got conversations with God that go back years and years and years, but if I go back to the time period where my dad was dealing with cancer and he passed away, I, I can see in my journal this time period where I wasn't talking to God the way I usually do. Church, that was the pain. But praise God, I, I, one day I just opened up my journal again and said, Lord, I haven't asked you anything in a long time. And he spoke to me about the upcoming year. That might be you today. God wants to speak to you and give you vision.
make it plain for you and for your family. So let me pray for you. Would you just close your eyes, open your hands up, just to say, I am willing to receive from the Lord today. God, you are a a God of visions and dreams. A Father that gives good gifts. And you have solutions for us. And God, we need solutions. And I know every time we hear your voice, healing comes. Healing for pain and hope for the future. New ways of doing things, God, and ways to be successful. And God, you show us how to build strong relationships. And so, God, we're just coming to you today and asking you to speak to us today and tomorrow and over the weeks to come that you would give us new thoughts and that we would write down new things. And God, I pray for any person in this room who feels like Jacob felt, stuck in a place where nothing was going right, serving a person who was cheating him. And God, we want to hear from you. Give us fresh vision. And just with every head bowed, I just, you can put your hands down for a second, but just keep your heads bowed. I, I just can't close a service without asking, is there somebody in this room that you know that you're far from God today? You know how easy it is to get saved? It is so easy to come back to God. Jesus did all the work. Jesus went to the cross, and he paid for your sin and my sin Jesus paid for our rebellion, the times where we've walked away from God knowingly. Jesus paid for that on the cross. That's why the only way that you can come back to God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. You just say, God, I I accept the price that Jesus paid for me. You ask Him into your heart and you put Him back in first place in your life so easy. Jesus did all the work. All it takes on our part is humility to admit that we're in the wrong spot and courage just to make a decision and to move forward. Can I just ask you with every head bowed, is there somebody in this room that you're not walking with God, but you hear him calling you right now and you say, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and commit my life to him. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. Thank you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. Yes, sir, thank you. Just right where you're sitting. Just raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Two people already. Anybody else, you'd say, that's me. We're just going to pray together as a church. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Let me ask one more time. Is God calling you into a relationship with Him today? Slip your hand up, put it right back down. Thank you. Yes, ma'am.
Church, let's just pray out loud. I just want us to help these four people to raise their hand. Just pray this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to die on a cross for my sin so I could be forgiven. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I ask you for strength to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Let's